Listener Production. If we're honest with ourselves, do we all have a habit we wish we didn't have? A behaviour that doesn't make us feel great, but we do it anyway. Maybe it's checking our phone every 10 minutes, that glass of wine every night of the week. Trust me, I've been there. Or more so for me, it's the habit of self-judgment, usually related to food. If I eat sugar or I eat too much, I judge myself so harshly and really criticise myself. So the food isn't even the problem, it's just food. It's the way I talk to myself afterwards. I, I treat myself so badly and I hate it, but I cannot free myself of the habit, even though I know it's destructive. And I would love to know why and how to stop it. So that's what this episode is about, how to break that habit we just don't want in our life. My co-host is Dr. Jamie Lee. Hey there, Jamie. Hi, Joe. So what makes a behaviour tip over into a habit and specifically a bad habit? A behaviour tips over into a habit when it becomes a habit loop. And that's formed in a particular part of the brain called the basal ganglia. Now, the psychological... <laughs> that sounds terrible. I hate does, the basal ganglia. It. <laughs> <laughs> it's a psychological habit loop and that's formed by four steps. A cue or a trigger a craving, a routine, and then the reward. And I can walk us through that. So the cue is what tells us to go into autopilot mode and the brain starts the behaviour. The craving is the motivational force behind that behaviour. What you crave is not the habit itself, but the change in state that it delivers. For example, you don't crave a cigarette, you crave the relief it brings. Right? You, you don't crave turning on the TV. You want to be entertained. And then the routine. You do the routine behaviour without making a decision to do it. Mm. And then finally, the reward comes from the satisfaction of performing that behaviour. Here's an example. Q, phone buzzes with a new text. Craving, you want to know what that text was about. Routine, you grab the phone and you pick it up. And reward, you learn what the contents of the text were. Mm, but I feel like the reward is, look at me, I'm so popular. <laughs> Isn't <laughs> that, that could why? Be social media. <laughs> <laughs> the number of thumbs up you get. <laughs> but what makes it a bad destructive habit? So bad habit, it's when it's a negative behaviour pattern or things that we wish we didn't actually do. Now, some habits are harmless, such as nail biting. But many are detrimental to our physical and our mental health. Like some obvious ones are no exercise, eating lots of junk food, smoking, alcohol. But then there's also some not so obvious ones, such as checking your phone all the time, like being addicted to social media, always looking at your emails, sugar, coffee. Mm. Mm. Or talking to yourself in a really negative way. Yeah. That somehow is... I don't know. It's like a crutch. It's like something that satisfies something in me and I don't know why. Well, that's your inner critic also coming up, Mm. right? So the habit happens and you feel bad, which is that negative behaviour pattern. Part of you knows that it is bad, right? It's bad behaviour and it's not serving you and you wish you didn't do it. And it's that element of wishing you didn't do it that then triggers off the negative talk and the inner critic, which then Mm. leads to all the judgment. Oh, and cycle, 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 goes on and on. It's very tedious, but it can be very, very difficult and it can make us very 
unhappy. Mm. So I have not been particularly successful in breaking a destructive habit, I must say. So I've asked a very dear friend to join us who has worked very hard to break some habits of his. I was lucky enough to do breakfast radio with this man for 10 years and I consider him to be a brilliant, kind and very funny person. Adam Richard, it's a joy to see you and have you in this podcast. How's it going? As I want you to know, I'm so proud of you because oh, really? well, I am. I mean, I'm proud of you because for many things, um, you know, you're brilliant and 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 generous and kind. But you have worked so hard to make changes in yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and over the last five years, you've kind of you've transformed yourself in a lot of ways. Is that weird for me to say that I'm proud of you? Does that feel good? No, it feels it's it's lovely. It's like a you know, it's a bonus. Uh- <laughs> It's like when Jamie was talking before about the text message thing. It's uh, you do get a thing like you know it might be good news that you've gotten on your text message. It's mm. just I guess it's situational. If you're driving your car, probably not a good idea to be looking at it. It's destructive behaviour. <laughs> yes, <laughs> this but is true. you know I I I felt good anyway. So having that is like uh, you know icing on top of a cake. I won't eat. <laughs> Oh, you're very good. So can you tell us what changes you have made over the last few years? Uh, So our last year together on radio, 2013, uh, I gave up drinking um, by accident. And I was a pretty heavy drinker, as you know. Like I was probably going through a full bottle and a half of wine every night uh, and then crazy binge drinking every weekend. Um... And, yeah, I just had a really bad depressive moment and tried to take antidepressants, but because of my drinking and I have fatty liver, like I just, it, I was overwhelmed by one pill and was, you know, went a bit mad. So I went, okay, no alcohol just for a couple of weeks while I deal with this emotional up and down. And, you know, a couple of weeks turned into now seven years. <laughs> That's pretty amazing. That is amazing. Yeah. So, yeah. And uh, I, yeah, in the last, I guess the last two years, I've, you know, finally managed to address my problems with eating. I mean, I haven't gotten completely on top of it, but I lost 40 kilos uh, last year. Um, and, and you know, it, it was a, a big deal, but it happened... Again, really quickly, like it's, it was just a decision I made and I kind of stuck to my guns for a, at least a full year. Uh, and, you know, losing weight meant I was, I was kind of twitchy and kind of didn't know what to do with myself because I was like, I had all this, it, it, I, people used to, I used to do stand up about this. People used to always say to me, Adam, if you just lost five kilos, you'd have more energy. And I was like, you clearly failed science because I don't <laughs> even know what fat is. It's stored energy. I've got a lot of energy. <laughs> Right. <laughs> I'm just not using it right now. <laughs> but <laughs> but it was true. Like I lost like the, I lost the, the first 15 kilos like within about 3 weeks. Wow. Uh which sounds unhealthy. Wow. Um, <laughs> but it was I was, you know, following a, a, a Michael Mosley diet, so it was, you know, it felt like a doctor was telling me what to do. <laughs> yes. Um, I love and, Michael Mosley. Me too. Oh, I've got so such a crush on him. Mm. Uh <laughs> and his wife and her amazing recipes. Yes. Uh, <laughs> but uh yeah, my doctor had recommended the diet, so I I did it and it worked really well. But yeah, after I'd lost that first 15 kilos, I was like, I had a lot of weird kind of nervous energy. So I started running. I did one of those couch to 5K apps mm-hmm. and 
And now you're doing half marathons and things. Yeah, I did a half marathon, uh, not last year because, you know, we, we weren't allowed to congregate in big numbers. <laughs> As anybody listening to this who may have a habit they want to shift, mm-hmm. they're hearing this and going, well, how did you do that? Because, you know, to say it happened really quickly and you just made the decision, that feels like it simplifies it oh, somewhat. completely. It's, for me, like the drinking thing came, I've tried many things to try and lose weight. One of the things I tried was, uh, you know, when you write your mood um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. as you're thinking about what to eat. Oh, okay. Uh, so, and that never really worked for me because, I mean, one of my favourite quotes ever about having an eating problem is that I think it was Brene Brown. She didn't know where the quote came from, but I love her to death. She's yes. amazing. Yes. Uh, mm. But she said, you know, having an addiction is like having a tiger locked in a cage. Uh, unfortunately, when you've got an eating problem, you have to let the tiger out three times a day. Oh, for <laughs> meals, obviously. Yeah. Yeah, like you have to eat to live and... If you've got a problem with eating, you can't give it up cold turkey because mm. you will, you know, cause yourself more harm than good. Uh, so, yeah, that's – so I was trying that emotional eating th- diary thing. It never worked, but it did work for drinking. Like I would think I feel like a champagne or I feel like a beer and I would just ask myself why. Why do you feel like that? Do you – like is it an actual craving or is this – you know, you want to have fun. And I, my answer always would be, I want to end up in a nightclub at four o'clock in the morning trying to pick up some random. And mm. I'd be like, that is not, that's not a healthy reason to have a drink. So, and also, you know, the last hangover I had was one of the worst hangovers of my life. And I hadn't even had that a good, good a time the night before. <laughs> <laughs> right. And I, all of this is true and I love it, but still mm. there are those of us who are, engaging in the behaviour, even though it feels like it's unbearable. There had to be something that shifted in you mentally, surely, mm. that allowed yeah. you to kind of stick to it. Yeah, and I think it was, you know, I, you know, we were, we'd been doing radio together for 10 years uh, and sometimes working in radio can be difficult and toxic, uh, as, you know, as much fun as we had doing it. Uh, when we're in the studio, outside the studio, things can be horrific. And every year, so for every year for 10 years, I would get to the end of the year and go, oh, God, can I do this for another year? Can I get up at 4 o'clock in the morning? Can I have my cortisol levels up to here, having panic attacks? Like, you know, like there's all sorts of bad byproducts of having that kind of sleep deprivation that goes with doing breakfast radio. Uh, and every year I had that thought. And every year I would say, yeah, yeah, I'll come back for another year. And... It was probably, I don't know, September maybe. Uh, so I hadn't had a drink in maybe two, three months. And I was like, actually, no, this year I think I'm going to I'm gonna say, no, that's it. I, I can't come back next year. Um, and having made a decision with clarity, having made a decision knowing I wasn't hungover, I wasn't drunk, I wasn't in that weird brain fog that you have of, addictive behavior was an amazing thing for me. I was just like, oh, so I know that this is a decision that I've made with absolute clarity, that with absolute, I've, you know, decided something and it was, it felt amazing. And then I, during that time, I also was going through an audition process for a television show um, that I really wanted to do. 
and I worked really hard. I'd had a lot of auditions for a lot of TV shows and hadn't really gotten anywhere with them. And this one, I, you know, I took all of the notes. I did everything that was asked of me. I worked really, really hard and I got the job. And that was another thing that I was like, well, maybe this is, you know, this is my body telling me that you can do the things you've always wanted to do. It's just you've been stopping yourself mm. with mm. these behaviours in the past. And so all the things I've done sober have felt like huge achievements, whereas in the past when you've got a hangover, like getting a hash brown from McDonald's feels like an achievement. <laughs> 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 and it, <laughs> so yeah, it was yeah. it was that that sense of achievement of of having a clear head and knowing that I was, you know, that's the thing that keeps you going. Like, because it's not, you know, it's not like one day you decide not to drink. It's mm. like every day you decide not to drink. Yeah, it's, it's an ongoing process, obviously. Yeah. But the more you have those cl- moments of clarity, the more you go, well, maybe I don't want to be in that place where. I make bad decisions anymore. So, Jamie, that does beg the question for me, though, and I'm sure, Ads, you can give some insight into this as well. Why do we do things that we know are hurting us even when we don't actually wish to be doing them anymore? What, what's happening? Why, you know, what is it? Is it? Are we trying to dull some pain? Are we trying to fill a void? What is it that we're doing to always reach for the thing that actually makes us deeply unhappy? So there's definitely some physiological and psychological elements to this. So firstly, the human brain is a prediction machine. It loves to minimise conscious thinking because that actually takes more effort and it does it in the process to conserve energy. So this is why forming habits can be useful, where you can take action without really thinking, but this is also what can make them pretty dangerous, right? Because as habits form, you start using that unconscious autopilot part of your brain and you can fall back into old patterns before you even realise it. Mm. Another reason is that our brains are wired to prefer quick payoffs as opposed to long-term rewards. So we value the present, instant gratification rather than the future possibility of a reward. Mm. And most healthy choices that we make today don't actually benefit us immediately. Whereas with bad habits, the consequences are delayed and the rewards are immediate. Whilst healthy habits is the opposite. The immediate outcome is is not really enjoyable. If I think about, I'm, I'm not a runner. If I think about going for a run, my body hurts afterwards. <laughs> it really doesn't feel that great. But I know I should go for this run because in the long term, it pays off. No, I'm, I'm not naturally a runner. Exactly. So my body's aching after But it's that. it's like leafy green vegetables. So there's a reward to that. But mm. I, I'm going to get immediately so a much better reward. Exactly, Ads. Who wants yeah. to eat kale when there could be cake? You know, exactly. I'm going to get a much exactly. better award from cake. Exactly. But the thing is, with, with a habit, that is a clue to something that is going on inside, right? I mean, it's really just a behaviour that we see on a surface, but it can be hard to break a habit when there's something deeper going on inside, often an unconscious belief that competes with your motivation to stop. Right. So what kind of belief? could be anything, right? The problem is not necessarily the behaviour or the or the habit. It, it's not that we are weak-willed or we're not trying enough. It's that there is often an unconscious goal that is there to protect ourselves and it's producing the very behaviours that stop us from breaking that habit. Mm. So if I, if I give an example, right, like 
in general, just change is really hard. Um, we all know that we need to eat better. And we generally know that veggies are better than a burger, right? But for example, when I, I do really need to stop eating wheat because it makes me feel bloated. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I have a competing commitment that contradicts that goal. Not to lose spontaneity when I go out, not to be seen as fussy or difficult and, and to not risk being rejected or excluded by friends or family. And so every time I start following this goal of not eating wheat, I feel good about myself and I'm good doing that at home. But then when we're out at dinner with friends and the bread comes out mm. and it smells so amazing and everyone's diving into it and they talk about how great it is, then I feel like I'm screwing up my other inner competing goal. And the purpose of that goal is is to protect us. And so um, this really does beg the question of we need to recognise why we sabotage ourselves. Mm. Does this sound familiar, Ads? Oh, yeah. I... <laughs> So part of the diet that I went on was like no carbs, like or mm. very few carbs, you know, cauliflower rice and zucchini noodles and all that kind of thing. Um, and one of my big weaknesses is hot cross buns or fruit loaf. Sure. Or just, yeah. Um, and for me, I've been trying to teach myself that they have terrible consequences, which is they cause the worst flatulence. <laughs> 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 and I just have to think of a bag of fruit toast as a bag of farts. <laughs> it's the only way I can stop myself at the supermarket from picking them up. I'm like, no, Adam, that is a six pack of hot cross farts. You cannot buy that. <laughs> that is the worst game of pull my finger of all time. Do not buy that. <laughs> But the joy I get from a buttery bun oh, full of fruit, sure. like it just, and I know it's fleeting. I know I feel terrible afterwards. Like I, you know, I'm, this, you're, this is the person who would hide the bag of fruit bread because I'd eaten an entire loaf and I didn't want my fiance to come home from work mm. and see that there was like half a slice in the bag. So I would finish it off and then stuff it further down in the rubbish bin oh. so no one could see it. Like that is so not. No, and that's that's <laughs> another okay. thing that comes with a habit that we know mm. is bad for us is the shame, mm. which surely aggravates what we're feeling about this, but yet we still do it. So now we're living with the shame as well. Do you remember feeling like uh, you were somehow addressing something inside you when you were drinking and eating like that? Was there an actual thing that you felt, a trauma, that you felt you were somehow comforting? Uh, Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm the child of an alcoholic father. My father would be physically and verbally abusive and then he would be, I'm really sorry and want to hug you and apologise and then... You know, and so it, you just ended up in that same cycle and that's what you learn as a child. So seeing that I was doing that to myself, like it was almost like, oh, my dad's been dead for 10 years, but I'm still doing this to myself. I'm still enacting these behaviours. 
Um, and, you know, I was having a lot of therapy, but, you know, identifying that, just being able to step outside yourself and go, oh, that's why you behave like this. That's, you know, you're, you've just learned how to be an alcoholic. You've learned how to binge on food. You've learned how to have all these addictive behaviors. And it's about unlearning things that you've grown up with. And mm. that is not easy. Um, but yeah, I can see that that's exactly what I was doing was was trying to, I guess, you know, eating eating disgusting food is kind of like a, it's like you're hugging yourself from the inside. Mm. <laughs> like it's, it's a like form you, of self-soothing. Yeah. You're, and, but then you feel uncomfortably full. Like this mm. is another problem. Like, you know, I would eat enough that I was full, but then I would keep eating because I had a problem with food and I was enjoying the, you know, the the instant gratification that you were talking about before, Jamie, the, that moment of like, oh yeah, it's, I'm instantly satisfied. Even though physically I was satisfied, emotionally I never was. Mm. So I just kept eating to the point where I'm uncomfortably full, like can't move on the couch and like, you know, have to undo your pants. And it's just like, you just go, Wah. And that's when you start the, you know, the persecution talk, the self talk where you're just like, who are you? You're disgusting. I can't believe you've just done this. What, what's wrong with you? And yeah. And, and those behaviors are so much, you know, you know, like you were saying before, that's a habit that I got into. Like, you know, I desperately need to feel love in inverted commas and pizza loves me. So I can eat a whole pizza and I feel, you know, satisfied and amazed and then then we get into you idiot. I can't believe you just ate a whole pizza. And you know, it's just that that cycle. I would I would I can look back at it now, but when you're in the middle of it, all you can see is I just desperately need to eat a pizza. It's remarkable to me that the self-soothing, which is uh destructive, um was preferable to the pain that you're actually soothing. Like even, and I remember actually, this has just come to me. I don't know why it's stuck in my head. Mm. I remember Robert Downey Jr. saying to the judge when he was in court, um, it's like I have a gun in my mouth and I like the taste of the metal yep. when he was talking about his addiction. So what you're saying is that even though your choice is worse for you than anything around, that mm. choice is preferable than the pain inside you. Yeah, because it's a pain you can't deal with like it's uh you know dealing with you know an alcoholic parent an abusive alcoholic parent like you can't you can't fix that person you can't uh you know you can't remove them from your life like it's part of who you've become like you've grown up to be this person because of that person uh and it's so yeah it's a it's you know, it's just a coping mechanism at best. And, mm. you know, it takes a lot of work. And with our parents, part of their role is to not just meet our basic needs like food and shelter, but it's also emotional needs. And mm. so when you're in an, a household which is abusive physically, psychologically, emotionally, it means a child grows up not having their emotional needs met. And then as you grow older... Now it's about trying to meet those emotional needs and just due to whatever exposure you had, the environments that you had, you're, you're coping with filling that need the way that you can, right? Whether it be through food, whether it be through alcohol, whether it be through 
work addiction, mm. right? Um, social it's, media. It's social media. Oh, my God. It is the classic yeah. one that we reach for to be validated exactly. in such exactly. a shallow, un, unmeaningful, unfulfilling way. I yeah. am the worst person at turning off Twitter and then opening my phone and opening Twitter. I'm like, it's been 30 <laughs> seconds, Adam. There are no new tweets. <laughs> are we just learning to listen to our bodies better? Because, you know, we've talked about, you know, our body being a map. Is that what yeah. we, what our aim should be? Yeah, you know, Joe, I think I think you're right, right? It's about listening to our bodies and what our bodies need. It's not necessarily listening to what our brain is thinking we need. Mm, yeah, right? because there's a difference. If, you, if our brain, if we're craving, you know, cake or alcohol or whatever. Mm. Or a is bag that a, of hot cross buns. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> is that a physical craving or is that a mental craving. Ooh. Now this is where it gets <laughs> fascinating between the gut and the mind, right? And 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 Michael Mosley does talk a bit about this, but when mm. we talk about gut health, we've got billions and trillions of bacteria in our gut. And around our gut, we've got an enteric nervous system, which is a thin layer of brain cells that's connected to your brain. Ooh. That means your gut health is very much related to your mental health. And the environment in your gut, is, it's a competition. It's war. All the bacteria are doing what they need to do to survive, right? So the cravings for the hot cross bun, that is the bacteria that really crave sugar and that hot cross bun that's actually influencing your brain to mm. say, go for that hot cross bun because it wants to survive. That bacteria in your gut wants to survive. And, and that loop is, you know, just being aware of it is helpful, Right, so you know it's not just your mind craving; it's also this bacteria in your gut that's craving it. Right, so there are physical addictions that we have cravings from, layered with that notion of self-soothing, layered with yes. also wanting to please others. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So you got people around you and the environment, and you know your peers and all of mm-hmm. that. I mean, mm-hmm. it's a how do we ever? <laughs> We ever oh. manage to change our behaviours. Change is it's so extraordinary. hard. It's really hard. It it's is really, really hard. Can, can, can I share? Can I share a study result? Yes. That, so there was a study done at Johns Hopkins, which looked at people who had open heart surgery for a heart attack or a heart disease, right? And they were all informed that they had to make healthier lifestyle choices: eat better, exercise more, stop smoking, reduce their alcohol intake, so that one they live, but two, to avoid having this horrible surgery, again, where they crack open your chest and they they open up everything there. It's such an awful operation. And yet two years later, the researchers found that 90% of them still had not changed their lifestyle. Mm. Wow. 90%, despite, you know, and this, this was over 10,000 people that they looked at. So this is this leads me to what I, I think is a really critical point in this episode, and that is self-compassion. Mm-hmm. And I always say, particularly giving up smoking, because I think that's one of the most hide- insidious habits, and people are very judgy about you these days if you mm-hmm. smoke, which is not helpful at all. Mm. Um, firstly, self-compassion in that it's really hard and all you can do is try again the next day. Yes. Like don't think, oh, I tried and I failed, that's it, I'm a smoker now. Uh, try again the next day. Or for me, mm. every time I have that that critical voice that I feel like I'm addicted to, I just go, oh, well, that's okay. It happened again. But 
next time you'll be a bit kinder to yourself. There's always a next time, I think, is a really important thing to remember. Yeah, yeah I call that the Tim Tam theory. <laughs> <laughs> How does that work? Because <laughs> Tim Tams are pretty key in my self-loathing, let me tell you. <laughs> so, you know when you open the packet of Tim Tams? Yes. And you go, I really want one Tim Tam. Mm-hmm. And then you have no more Tim Tams left all yes. of a sudden. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> what you need to tell yourself is, I didn't actually want the first Tim Tam. I, I didn't want any of the Tim Tams. Because wanting one Tim Tam is I want all of the Tim Tams. So I just have to go, no bickies. Just, right, so just don't buy the Tim Tams. Mm. Just don't buy the packet because mm. you can't buy just one Tim Tam. Yeah. <laughs> like there's, you know, it, if they came individually wrapped, maybe, because as, as you put each wrapper in the bin, you'd go, oh, yeah, I can't, I can't unwrap another one. <laughs> I've witnessed but, this a lot in my house, Adam, I will say, around the Tim yeah. Tam packet. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, sometimes I feel like I'm a Labrador. <laughs> Dogs are just eat until they throw up. Part of how do you create a good habit, right? Mm. Make it easier on yourself. Don't have all the things around that might tempt you, mm. right? If you just mm. don't buy it, don't have it in the house, you're not sitting there facing that packet of Tim Tams in the cupboard every day going, eat me, eat me, That's eat right. me, eat me. And just acknowledge that you're not a superhuman and you can't yeah. resist the Tim Tams, so don't I, put it there. Really don't, nice. don't, don't walk down the aisle as well. Yeah. Like I don't go down those aisles. They put the dry mm. biscuits there too. <laughs> I know. Do you know what I've noticed lately? This has been my biggest horror is that they've started putting chocolate in the fruit aisle. I'm like, don't do this to me. <laughs> so don't put the block of chocolate next to the nectarines. That's so, not okay. <laughs> so you would acknowledge, Adam, that it is a daily process too. Oh, yeah. It's so hard. I've always been wary of the whole Alcoholics Anonymous thing. I know that works for some people. But for me, all you're creating is another habit of... I'm replacing drinking with, you know, collecting the chips and going to the meetings and, you know, being able to rack up the days that I haven't had a drink. Mm. And then I think you end up with a fear of alcohol. Like mm. uh, I'm more than able to have a drink and I have done so. But you know when you get in those situations, like Jamie, you were talking about like the bread on the table and everyone's having it. And it's like, oh, go on, have one, have one. I'm like, all right, I'll have it. I'll have a glass of wine. It takes me about two and a half hours now to get through one glass of wine, whereas in the past it took me two and a half hours to get through an entire bottle. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but, yeah, it's like I, it's, it's, it, it doesn't taste the way I thought it used to. I don't enjoy that giddy feeling. Like I've, I feel out of control and it's, I don't enjoy that anymore, mm. which I, and I used to love that. You were very good at that. I was very skilled. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but, the yeah. giddy times we've had. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I don't, and I can, I'm, you know, I'm able to to drink, you know, a wine or a, you know, I had a shot of tequila at someone's uh, Bucks party once and they were like, I thought you weren't drinking. I went, well, this is for your p- birthday. Like, mm. you know, I'm in your Bucks party. I'm, I'm here celebrating with you and, you know, this is the way you like to celebrate and I can join in, you know, I'm not going to have a second one because, ew. <laughs> yeah. But so I guess it's different for everyone though. That's the other tip. Mm. You've got to find the thing that's, that works for you. Yes. You know. Um, and I don't know, maybe you need a trigger that yeah. the moment that shifts it in your brain. Yeah. Maybe you need to do, you need to get a, a blood test from your doctor that says, uh, after, even after seven years of not drinking, you have fatty liver, uh, <laughs> which is what spurred me on to do the ketogenic diet. And, mm. you know, yeah. it's, it's like, 
I did abuse my liver throughout most of my life. And, you know, here I am uh, at the big 5-0 going, oh, I really have to look after myself now because I have obviously done a lot of damage. Cirrhosis mm. can't be far away if I keep behaving the way I'm behaving. Mm. Um, but it's, you know, like Jamie was saying about those people who had open heart surgery, like, you know, they've been through a terrible experience and even that can't make you change your life and change mm. your behaviours. Like you have to... You know, ask for help. Ask people to to come and you know help you out when you when you need it. Like whether it's professional help or just friends or whatever it is. Like don't be afraid to ask people to help you when you need help. Mm. I'd something that I I loved hearing you say before was that you you take more conscious choices of when you want to engage with alcohol or with food now. Mm -hmm. And that's something where you're not listening to that inner critic or that judgment. It's like going, okay, no, I, I look after my body. I'm compassionate with myself. And now I'm choosing to have that shot of tequila because this is a special occasion. And, and, and then you're not filled with self-loathing after mm. that, right? It, it's, it's something that you choose. And I think when you, you have that choice, you feel empowered, whereas mm. when you have an addiction, one doesn't feel like they have much of a choice, like because you're addicted to it, right? Yeah. Like the hot cross buns. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's no choice. <laughs> but Anna, I think that, you know, for me, everything comes down to slowing things down, slowing your reaction mm. down and breath, which mm. is, you know, critical. And we've spoken about, about this a lot. Um, breath and, and, you know, so if you can explore things like mindfulness or meditation or just breath work, Whatever it is that slows down your reaction and mm -hmm. allows you to notice what's happening mm -hmm. without judgment, absolutely critical. One of, one of my favourite things that I, you know, sometimes you do stumble over something of your own uh, and you go, <laughs> oh, this is a really good habit to have. Yes. Um, if you want to go on any kind of diet, if you have a problem with food, don't buy the physical book. Never buy the physical diet book. Oh. Get it on your, like on an e-reader, something you can have on your phone, something that lives in the cloud, like whether you've got Kindle or Kobo or whatever your devices you use, get an app that goes on your phone on all of your devices. So when you're at the supermarket, you do not have the excuse, oh, I've left the book at home so I don't mm -hmm. have the recipe. I'll go down the Tim Tam aisle. Great tip. You have okay. the recipes on your phone when, wherever you are. You can look up the ingredients that you need. You can look up everything. Like, don't buy the physical book. Mm. That is, I my love book. that tip. <laughs> I have one last question because Jamie, we talk about giving yourself permission. It's sort mm. of one of our themes of this podcast. Is you know, what are we going to give ourselves permission this day? Is a lot of this about giving yourself permission to let go of whatever it is your habit is, and thinking that you are worthy of existing without that. Yes. Yes. I think, you know, I think that's a big part of it. I also think this is around giving oneself permission to acknowledge you have needs mm -hmm. acknowledge you have emotional needs, which you're meeting in ways that don't necessarily serve your health. And when you give yourself permission that you have these needs, you can find other ways to meet them in a healthier way. I love that. I really love that. Mm. 
Because I think a lot of the reason we we maybe reach for unhealthy ways to fulfil those needs is that we've been told not to have those needs. Mm. Would mm. you say that's true, Ads? Oh, yeah. Mm. And look, another thing, I know we were talking before about the reaching for bread at, at dinner. Um, people will shun you because you've decided to make a change. Mm. Uh, it is difficult, but that is their problem. And never forget that your needs are more important. Mm-hmm. That if you're doing a good thing for yourself, just because it someone else sees it as a bad thing for them, they, you know, you're they're going to see themselves reflected back, and they're going to feel terrible about their own choices, and and you may lose friendships, you may lose, you know, there might be a thing you go to all the time where you drink or you eat or whatever it is that you do, and those things, you know, they're not more important than you being healthy and happy, mm-hmm. so. They're things you might have to let go of and it's sad and it's hard, but that, you know, your own self-worth is is more than the group. Oh, Ads, I am deeply grateful that you and I are still friends. I adore you. <laughs> Thank I love you, you too, <laughs> I love you so much. Um, thanks for sharing so honestly of your story. I think it's really powerful. and. Oh. Mm. I think. Well, thanks um, for inviting Jamie. I needed. I needed a doctor with me <laughs> <laughs> in case I fell off the wagon right here. <laughs> She's very knowledgeable. Um, yeah. So thanks, Ads, and uh, I'm really, like I say, I'm proud of you and inspired by you. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you both. Thanks, this Ads. has been really good fun. In our next episode, we're going to be talking about parenting. Now, being a parent is hard, especially when we're in conflict with our kids and conflict happens to everybody. We're going to be joined by a parent coach who will help us reconnect with our kids so there's a little less fight and hopefully a lot more joy in our family. That's in the next episode of Best of You. Best of You was created in collaboration with the House of Wellness. Written and presented by me, Joe Stanley, and my co-host, Dr. Jamie Lee, executive producer, Alex Mitchell, and audio production by Nicola Sitch. Listener.